Today we'll be asking the burning philosophical questions. What does it mean to be funny? And what does it mean to be healthy? This is Doctor versus Canadian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be answering a very specific question, or a couple of questions, from a listener. Specifically, what does it mean to be funny? And what does it mean to be healthy? And just a bit of background there. These questions were posed by a listener. I think they're meant to be kind of like open-ended philosophical questions. Like, what do these words mean to us? And so there's not really going to be a right or wrong answer. I mean, obviously, these are opinions that people can agree or disagree. So I thought it'd be, it'd be an interesting question. Like, when they asked us that, I was like, yeah, that's a good topic. Well, the timing was incredible. I've been diving into this subject myself, looking at comedy and the use of comedy and the use of humor, specifically in various non-traditional comedy contexts. So, for example, in the workplace, you know, and how it can be useful, you know, a couple of one-liners at a funeral, you know, those type of non-traditional, no. (laughs) (laughs) Not as as funny. And it's like, again, we didn't really talk to each other about this we just said this is the question from the listener what does it mean to be funny and separately what does it mean to be healthy so i mean obviously i'll take on the healthy one you take on the funny one but how i don't know about the obviously part i know a couple of two three things about health but yeah i think your chicken wings and (laughs) chicken wings before midnight that's the key people (laughs) of course of course timing is everything Um, So I don't really know. So we're going to approach these questions differently. Like there's no set way to approach these. So Mm. I don't know. I think let's, uh, let's get going. Let's go. Well, the first interesting thing about this question, as you said, it is pretty open-ended, but you know, researchers, you know, your people, people who do all this studying and stuff, your nerds, they don't actually fully understand yet which aspects of a joke or a situation make it funny. You know, scientists have been struggling to explain exactly Hmm. what it is that makes people laugh. So if you were an alien and you landed on this planet and you were sent on a quest or a mission to be funny, you couldn't exactly study the, the documented research. You'd have to sit in front of... Right. Experiential learning. You'd have to do that. Exactly. You'd have to immerse yourself in uh, hundreds of scenarios of people laughing and then take your own notes And because scientists have not been able to do it. And there's many, many theories about humor and why it works and when it works. Unfortunately, nothing is less funny than studying what is funny. That is right. the greatest challenge. Like nothing makes sense. You know, you have to explain a joke, but we start with that. We have to start with that and be like, okay, well, that's what we're doing here, right? What is it to be funny? And some interesting things that I came across that some people have, some theories have come forward that explain humor from an evolutionary vantage point. There are anthropologists that said that laughter, I should say, occurs in every society, mm-hmm. including in apes and rats. Okay. And I was well, not really societies, but... The rats are a society. That is a society. Come on, man. They have their own colonies and, you know, take out (laughs) restaurants and stuff like that. Anyway, I was very uncomfortable with the idea of rats laughing at us. I didn't like that idea at all. That put an end to my laughter immediately. It seems a bit strange that they say rats laugh, but yeah. I know. I know. They weren't laughing when you were working on them in the labs, I imagine. But somewhere (laughs) they've got their nightclubs. They've got their, they got something going on. And there's also these theories that, you know, it, it could have been a byproduct of uh, some process that was important to survival, which I've always, mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of that. You know, when you were right about to get punched in the face for something you said, and then you used humor to deflect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do, you know, to study funny means to study laughter. At the end of the day, you know, I'll start with the answer. What is funny? Funny is the ability to create situations or words or actions that people find amusing and ideally laugh at. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you that, you know, in a comedy club setting, 
you know, everybody who shows up, they want to laugh. They're hoping to have a laugh. That's the whole, yeah, there's a couple of exceptions, a couple of psychos who show up, like, make me laugh, punk. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, you're going there for a laugh, right? And so the job of the comedian or the person who's being funny, you bridge that gap between your ideas and then the audience member's ideas or their expectations. You connect with them, you posit your point of view, and most importantly, you make people laugh. That is the goal of the comedy club. In your house, at a party, if people know you, they may also be ready to laugh or expect to laugh because they know you to be funny. You know, when people are elbowing, people yeah. going, uh, here's this guy, here's this guy, this guy's always funny. Yeah, they more so, do the opposite to me. <laughs> stay yeah, away from that weirdo. Stay away from that guy. But then you, I would argue, have an advantage in that regard. Hmm. And that is because people, you know, when you're in a non-traditional or I should say in a traditionally non-fun or funny environment like work, mm -hmm. uh, like in some presentations, any place in a corporate environment, even some interaction with a retail salesperson, let's say, or a parent, your kid's teacher or something like that, there's almost an advantage there because you are not expected to be funny. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing people are expecting. So, Asif, as you walk the streets alone, no one's expecting you to be funny. So use that to your advantage. But as an aside then, do you not like that when people recognize you? I mean, not everyone recognizes you in this world. I would say, you know, 95% of people on the street recognize just joking. But when people recognize you, like, do you think it's, and the people are expecting you to be funny or, you know, you get, you go to a party and you meet a bunch of people and, and you're, you're like, oh, this is my friend, the comedian. Yeah. And then do you feel you have to make jokes? I, I've noticed that meeting some of your comedian friends, they make jokes all the time. And I'm like, do you feel you have to be on or you just make jokes all the time because you make jokes all the time? I don't really I, know. There is sometimes a little bit of pressure when you, you know, the way you just said it, when that introduction is made, mm -hmm. you've just set it up to be like, this is going to be, you know, a fantastic night for you because you're meeting a comedian. <laughs> yeah. That's always, uh, you know, for me, it's like, look, we'll get to the laughs. They will come. I'm not going to have a night where I don't try to joke around a little. Like, that's just not my way to let's to just lay around in a serious situation and just let it be. That's just not who I am. So mm -hmm. they'll come, but maybe we can let them happen organically rather than put mm -hmm. a spotlight on immediately and going, come on, come on, tell them one of your uh, your skits, your bits, your sketches, do one of your things. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. uh, don't necessarily need that. Mm -hmm. And it's always more fun if it happens sort of organically, mm -hmm. i.e. in an unexpected fashion. But when you talk about funny and you talk about laughter, in my opinion, one of the greatest traits one can have in their quest and their ability to be funny is listening, which always sounds like, no, 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 I don't want to listen. I want to talk. But in yeah. fact, you know, if you think of stand-up comedy, and of course, you're a big Seinfeld fan, and there is that incredible joy you get and how you know impressed you can be from some beautifully crafted material that somebody's been working on for months, years. But if you think about crowd work, if you think about a time where you've been at a show and somebody said something and immediately they were handled as a heckler or somebody said something mm -hmm. and the comedian used those lines to then say something funny to mm -hmm. the room or, you know, used callbacks from something the audience member said to them. All of that is just great listening. Sure, some of it is very much on the spot. But you can't have any of it without good listening. And sometimes, you know, I have a friend, Joey Elias, my buddy from Montreal. He, I used to watch that guy juggle three, four people's stories from the audience mm -hmm. and tie people in the audience to each other in these weird situations. And it's really a thrill for the audience to be like, this is a one-time thing. We are part of something very, very special that will never be able to happen again because we will not have a massage therapist, an out-of-work accountant, and a, a events planner in the same room mm -hmm, ever mm -hmm. being right. tied together like this. And so all of that is like you have to be a great listener. No, no different from when somebody goes, hey, what's your name? And they go, oh, I'm Bob. And then you forget it within seconds, mm -hmm. right? There is mm -hmm. a skill story and an life. intention story of most people's lives. There's yeah. a skill and an intention behind that listening. Mm -hmm. And so as a comedian, you start with a name and you go, what do you do? You can't five minutes later. I mean, you could, but if five minutes later, you forget that their name is Robert and they were an accountant, you can no longer use that. So listening is key. Listening is also key to see what the vibe is 
from the audience. Okay, they didn't like that material. Let me move to something else. Or when you're off stage, you know, we've all, as comedians, every comedian has met the comedian who goes, oh, the crowd sucks tonight, the crowd sucks tonight, and then the next five comics go on and blow the place up. So it's like, blow the place up in a laugh, in a laughter context. Yeah, I hope so. Yes, and what that proves is that first comedian, they're not usually the first one on stage, but that comedian who complained about the crowd wasn't listening. They weren't listening to what the crowd was reacting to and what they were connecting with. And so, yeah, it's a great skill, whether you're a comedian or you're not. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some of my friends who are always making jokes, but, you know, eventually that gets tiring. Somebody who's just always on, just spit firing tons of jokes and material and not really listening to anything anybody else is saying. That's not an ideal person. They mm -hmm. are definitely funny in the moment, but it's not a, you know, how funny are you really if people were like, oof, that was exhausting, right? <laughs> At the end of it. Yeah, exactly. So here are, you know, based on these various articles and based on these, you know, theories that I've read, these are the things, and if I can narrow them down into these four things, these are the concepts that people find amusement in. And I'm sure us if you can find examples of all four. Sometimes there might be examples of multiple in one situation. So number one, the misfortune of others. Mm -hmm. All right. That's definitely people do like that. And of course, there's caveats around that. If somebody falls into a manhole and dies, typically, you know, that's that crosses a line and that's not. But if somebody, you know, is just in the process of talking about how fantastic they are as a human being, how great life is, and they trip over a manhole cover. Generally, that's, you know, really mm -hmm. enjoyed universally. Mm -hmm. So misfortune mm -hmm. of others. Secondly, the expression of otherwise forbidden emotions or forbidden, you know, non-societal norms. And so this is a thing comedians do often. They say things that other people are only thinking and people go, I could never right, say that. Right. And then you hear a comedian say it and you go, wow, okay. So you could just say that then, huh? Three is the juxtaposition of incompatible concepts. All right. You can think of like how you would never think of putting two things together. That's often a comedian's job of mm -hmm. taking concepts that have no connection to each other and connecting them. And finally, realizing that certain expectations have been Violated. So I'll go through them very briefly, each one, so as not to, again, dig a grave for comedy here. But number one, the misfortune of others, you know, that goes back to the time of ancient Greek philosophers, the time of Plato, where the ideas were that people found humor and they laughed at either earlier versions of themselves or the misfortunes of others. And the reason was because you would wind up feeling superior. Of better right. about yourself. About yeah, yourself. It's, that, uh, it's the Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Uh, sure, yeah. sure. Laughing at the misfortune of others. And yeah. if you study the in, in the, the comedy club environment, that's 100% true. Anytime you make fun of one person in the room in a comedy club, and I'm talking about people who have not asked for it. They don't deserve it. You make fun of somebody and everybody, I mean, it's almost universal. Everybody starts laughing. About, hmm. <laughs> that yeah, guy does look like his mother did his hair this morning, you know? And then yeah, everybody... it's interesting because it's, I don't know, it's basically bullying to a certain extent. I would Because agree. you're thinking to yourself, oh, thank God it's not me. And that's when you're a little kid on the schoolyard. That's what you're thankful. Oh, thankfully they're bullying that other kid over there. Yeah. And they're not looking at me and <laughs> my shirt that's uh, too big and my flood pants that I'm wearing. <laughs> I'm sorry, your flood pants were the subject <laughs> of such a, a ridicule. Picture, specific picture. <laughs> it's so specific. Secondly, that expression of otherwise forbidden emotions, you know, this idea that, so I'll give you an example from just yesterday. Our friend Dave is visiting from San Diego. He's a Trini boy, Dave, a Trinidadian man. We've spoken about him on the podcast. I'm at his auntie's house. Auntie, auntie's an older lady. She's well into her 80s. A lovely woman. She, they start talking about a story a few years ago when they were all in Vegas. Some man bought Auntie a drink. And Auntie's just this <laughs> sweet old lady, and this man's buying her a drink. And so everyone's laughing that this man was, you know, trying to pick her up. And then I said, You're leaving out the part where uh, you did something to repay this man for the drink he bought you. 
And it was inappropriate, but not so inappropriate that people like her own daughter was laughing about that. Like, oh, my God. And then, you know, auntie, who's like a very small Trinidadian woman, laughs also and then goes, I don't do anything for him. I drink his drink and I go. I'm not stupid. You know, like that. She yells at me almost in a funny way. And so it's this example of, you know, you have this idea of like this old woman getting bought a drink. What did this man want? And if you think two steps ahead, it mm-hmm. might enter your mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you said I, it. That was the but thing. I, you, I say you said it. I expressed yeah. an otherwise, quote unquote, forbidden emotion or inappropriate subject. But because it walked a certain line, and I also know the audience, you know, we were able to mm-hmm. make it work. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. still not something that necessarily everybody in that room is going to yeah. do. And, and by the way, I don't, I think, just in case people are wondering, I, this isn't tips for you making jokes in your real life. This is what people find funny. It and is. I hope. People will be like, oh, I'm going to do this next time I'm with a group of elderly women, <laughs> you know. May and, work for uh, you, may not. I mean, start slow yeah. is my advice. Start slow, Good start advice. small, see what works. Okay. Different things work for different people. Mm-hmm. Number three was that juxtaposition of incompatible concepts. So you see that in comedy a lot where people, you know, for example, where they, I can't remember that word, uh, anthropomorphize. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, Jim Gaffigan has these jokes where he's talking about two lobsters in a tank <laughs> uh, when they're talking yeah. to each other. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Look, good thing that wasn't us. Right, Henry? 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 And uh, his friend Henry is gone and picked yeah, out of the... Yeah. So, you know, these are like talking and lobsters. This is a very light example of an incompatible mm-hmm, concept mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I mean, thousands of examples, but that's one easy one that you can think of uh, mm-hmm. examples of. And then, you know, this idea that you have certain expectations and they've been violated. So this is every joke that is a, you know, like a red herring or a left turn at the end and you get, you know, because people like to think they are intelligent. And then when they're, when they've been had, they like that also at some level. They're like, oh, I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't really see it coming. Sometimes people love that they also were like, I knew where that was going, but they laugh. They still laugh, which is an interesting thing about stand-up comedy. So I'll tell you one story, which I always love in this world. You know, so I'll, I'll give you some, this is some Ossif friendly research nerd lines here. There's a researcher named Matthew Hurley out of Indiana U who has studied humor. And his thesis is that our minds continuously make these rule of thumb conjectures about what will be experienced next, what the intentions of others are. And when, you know, humor is this idea of like, you know, creating discrepancies between what we Mm, expect. Subverting expectations. Subverting is a great word. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm I'm glad you made yourself happy there. So there's a story I heard. This was on an NPR show once. The story goes that there was a journalist, you know, many years ago. He he caught wind of a, of a man who had been imprisoned, a, a convict who had been imprisoned wrongfully. <laughs> and he was apparently guilty of some horrible, violent crime. And reading about this person, nothing added up. So this journalist goes, I'm going to go meet this person. And so he goes to the jail and he meets this prisoner and he's immediately taken by him. He's a very charming man. And he's like, yeah, I've been saying for years I didn't do this. It's not my ability to do this. And, you know, I just I was hoping somebody would believe my story. And so the journalist says, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to write your story. I'm going to write this story for you. I'm going to write a letter in the newspaper about you and about who you are and your history and your path here and what's happened to you. And he goes, well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. And he goes, So then he starts to leave the prison and all of a sudden a brick hits him on the back of the head and he looks back and the convict goes, don't forget to write that letter. I always love that story so much. It's so simple in its telling, but I love how it's, you're not going to, you're not, no one's picturing that happening, right? You have certain <laughs> expectations. <laughs> you have certain like, oh, the prisoner probably is guilty or something. But that brick on the back of the head is one of my favorite things. So those type of jokes always, you know, not always, but often amuse us that, you know, you've been had. And I think... You know, when you laugh at it, also it's a sign that you can recognize these. Yeah, you, you're not a imbecile. You can figure these things out. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you mentioned this. We talked. You know, Norm Macdonald died recently, and I was going through. You know, everybody's gone through this wormhole of looking at wormhole rabbit hole. Yes, is what it's called when we're yes. looking on the internet and. 
looking at his joke and he has this moth joke right yeah uh, which i think you mentioned when we were talking about uh, his passing and that joke i just thinking about it because it combines so many of these things he juxtaposes incompatible concepts because it's a moth talking going to a to doctor see a yeah. doctor and then he says the moth is like telling his story about being see and he's telling it to a podiatrist right and you know the punchline you think the punchline is going to be once he gets to the end of this crazy story that it's going to be he went to the wrong office he thought it was a psychiatrist and yeah. that's not the end of the joke the joke is something you completely didn't expect yeah. and i won't ruin it for you you should just watch watch him tell the story on conan yourself but you but i realized that afterwards and so you can level all these together right totally which is, which totally is and who would do that uh, sooner and quicker and and better than norm mcdonald who was a really astute comedy lover and fan of the art form. So absolutely, he would be doing mm -hmm. that. So if you say that those are the four major things that amuse people, you also have to keep in mind some other very, very important tools. In various research, they talk about this idea of distance. So either geographical distance, emotional distance. So for example, if you find out, if somebody talks about a car crash that was 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. and, and talks about it in an amusing way, people are all on board. If it happened earlier that morning, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. less likely to mm -hmm. get those... Too soon, too soon. Too soon, too soon, right? Mm -hmm. Which is going to lead us to the, the next idea, okay. not just this. You know, and, and, you know, they were talking about there's these volunteers are sent these photos. Like There's a man with a finger in his nose and it comes out of his eye. Mm -hmm. And if people know that that's created with Photoshop, they laugh at it. If somebody's told that this is an actual human being who can do this, oh, they are no longer if it's an authentic, right? So these types of distance from things also help in comedy. Mm -hmm. and, and from distance, obviously, that other tool, which is critical, is timing. And humor, they say, is tragedy plus time. And, you know, in the comedy world, many comedians take it upon themselves to rush as quickly as possible to make a joke, right? These guys who consider themselves roast comics, these comedians who love to be inappropriate, they try to challenge and push against the borders of that. You know, uh, for example, when Christopher Reeve died, there were some obvious jokes about because Christopher Reeve had played Superman for mm -hmm. so many years. There were some mm -hmm. jokes there. And there are some comics who can make that joke within 10 minutes of Christopher Reeve dying. Mm -hmm. And there are others who would wait. But now it's like there's such a rush, such a bum rush to make the joke that if you make the joke five days later, you're already like, ah, you hack. <laughs> Terrible timing. Yeah, I think that social media too plays a role in that. Absolutely. You know, yeah. absolutely. So there's timing, not just in, you know, tragedy plus time, but there's also timing, as you say, Norm McDonald's timing on that joke as he builds and builds and builds and takes his time and uses comedic timing as a tool. That is very important. And that leads to another thing that we've touched on here, which is the release of stress or the release of some type of anxiety. Tension, yeah. Tension. And the reason I say we've touched on it is because you talked about that form of bullying, basically, where you go, thank God it's not me. Right. So when everybody's laughing at the guy in the front row of a comedy show because the comedian says it looks like your mother licked her two hands and separated that part in your hair before she sent you out to the show tonight. Part of that laughter is ha, ha, better him than me. Thank God it's not me. My hair also looks like that. Please don't let him see me in the shadows. There's a nervous laughter and there's a release of tension happening at the same time. These are all tools that you can use in your quest to be funny. And these are tools that are often used. You know, Bill Burr is in my opinion, a master of this release, right? He'll go on, create a lot of tension mm -hmm. and then call out the tension. And we all laugh at the tension. Goes, mm -hmm. You see, you see, you see what happened? Well, a, a couple of stories about that tension and release. One is that's what Hannah Gadsby and Nanette talks about. That she, well, I mean, uh, most of that special is her yeah. talking about. That's what comedy is, tension, release, tension, release. And then she doesn't release the tension and she kind of calls people out on some of the issues that have pervaded her life mm -hmm. and just kind of lets it sit there and it's very uncomfortable right? right and to both our points that has a lot to do with the backlash against nanette people were like is this comedy can we call this a comedy mm -hmm. special mm -hmm. and i think it was because of that like i felt uncomfortable for too long 
Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting debate. The other story is a funnier one. So I know you, Ali, probably in Toronto have attended, you obviously, lots of comedy shows, but there's improv shows as well. So one of my friends attended an improv show. And he told me the story of the improv show. What they did, it's not really improv, but what they would do is they would take this improv troupe, would take a bunch of mouse traps. Hey, just like those rats. Maybe that's what these rats were laughing at. This, mm, uh, stupid uh, laughing mice. At the humans. They're, actually, they're laughing at what the humans are about to do. And they put them all on the stage. Then there would be two members of the troupe who were blindfolded. You know, you spin <laughs> them around and then you... <laughs> yeah make them walk forward. And obviously once you set off one mouse trap, it will flip up and they'll all go around and they're all sure. set off. And so, but that tension of them walking, and of course the people who are doing it are not like they're performers. So they taking their steps very slowly and hesitantly walking onto the stage. And then as soon as one hits and the mousetrap spring and everything goes crazy. You know, this release of tension and laughter. That's what the craziest part was. My friend said, no, everybody's howling with laughter. One of the craziest responses he's ever heard mm. at, at a comedy show. And I'm like, well, it just is all about tension and release. But these yeah. guys heightened it as much as they possibly could. Sure, sure. That's hilarious. I don't know where that sketch ends other than in terrible pain. But, <laughs> you know, all for the laughter. Everything's worth it. Rats. So I guess, you know, the question, as I said, as you said, was so broad. What does it mean to be funny? The simple answer is it means to be able to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. The tougher thing is how do we get funny if we're not? And I always remember this. There's two comedians out of Montreal that I know who both are very, very successful. And one of them despite his incredible success, you could spend a full day with that person and never know they're a stand-up comedian. They're a pretty mm -hmm. intense person. Mm -hmm. And I remember we played ball hockey as, a, you know, this uh, group of comedians, and all comedy was drained from this one guy. And the other comedian who's very successful, you know, even if the ball, like a slap shot hit him in the back of the thigh, his reaction in that moment of pain was just inherently funny. Just some hilarious curse words that didn't work together in mm. general that you, you don't know, son of a motherless something. And he, it was coming out so quickly. Mm. Just comedy was on the tip of his tongue at all times. Mm -hmm. And to me, what that suggests, there's different ways to skin a dead cat. Is that what it is? To me, that suggests mm. there's different ways to get to funny. And some of it can be planned. Some of it can be natural. And if you don't have the natural funny and you're looking to be funny, my suggestion is you, first of all, you relax. That's the first thing. Because nobody likes somebody who's mm -hmm. on all the time. You relax. You start slow. And comedians who are you know, funny in, in many situations, that's what they've done. They've learned to trust themselves mm -hmm. and relax. So you have to build that trust in yourself. That happens over time. And once you have that trust, you can take it easy and you let the jokes come out naturally. And, you know, going back to the world of improv, it's, you know, they always say that you, you don't start with the house on fire because you have nowhere to go. <laughs> right, right. Right. And you also yeah. don't start looking for the joke. And if you've ever seen good improv, it starts as relaxed as can possibly mm -hmm. be. And the comedy comes out naturally. Mm -hmm. So if we can take a hint from, and, and I'm not talking about your stage, your crafted five minutes on stage. I'm talking about in person. I'm talking about as you mm -hmm. develop, you know, a comedic persona for whatever reason, for whatever purpose. I think it's really about uh, not taking too many risks, right? Someday you'll meet the Trinidadian grandmother who does take huge offense. So it's about <laughs> learning slowly where you can push, where you shouldn't push, what's inappropriate and what the consequences are, and, and eventually letting jokes come out naturally. Well, all I have to say to that is I realize that skinning the dead cat is what those rats were laughing at. Hi, this is Suzanne Falter. I'm the host of a podcast called Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women. And if you're like me, well, you got a lot on your plate. And if you are tired of feeling guilty for wanting to take care of yourself, if you struggle to set boundaries, if you're curious about leading-edge self-care in medicine, exercise, and really the world of personal growth, head on over to my podcast because it's a personal, intimate, 
authentic look at what it takes to actually fit self-care into your own extremely busy life. I welcome you to join me, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for self-care and you'll see it. Self-care for extremely busy women. So this next section, this question that our listener asked, which is, you know, what does it mean to be healthy? Mm. So, And this is going to be a little bit redundant and boring for me, given my uh, interest in the world of health and how important it's been to me my entire yeah. life. I right? mean, you have well, an eight pack of abs, right? Yes, yes. I've only been 30 to 35 pounds overweight for 75% of my life. So health is a top priority here. Uh, no, it is a quest. The reason I like the suggestion by the listener was that it is a quest that I'm constantly on. I don't know if we've talked at length about this. I'm sure I have, that I was trying to eat, you know, for over a year. We would eat six days a week plant-based, and we were doing mm-hmm. that. Well, you so certainly that told me about that many times. I certainly well. did. But it was like the most effortless weight loss you can ever imagine. Once you take out those chicken wings, you'll be surprised. But I was also eating, you know, chicken wings. There was a time where I was eating chicken wings three times a week. And then, you know, nachos on the days I wasn't having chicken wings. As a comedian, sometimes you're getting paid in chicken wings. So optimal health. And you, Asif, have been up and down in your quest for health as well, too. So I'm interested to hear well, what you think. That's is. Uh, why, yeah, that's why I want to think about this. Like, what does it mean to be healthy and what does it mean you know to be in a state of optimal health and i think that's the way i thought about like how do you optimize your health like you cannot control certain things that happen right some people i've told this story before i think i think to you i think i've told it on the podcast if not you know i was in a rotation in medical school and I was working with this physician who is an oncologist, so mm-hmm. dealt with cancer, and he was a bit overweight. And we saw this guy, 45-year-old guy, super good shape, marathon runner, amazing shape, had uh, lymphoma. And uh, my God, that's so sad. This guy like did everything right. He did everything right, and he got lymphoma. And the doctor was like, listen, if you want to uh, – exercise, eat right, whatever, uh, and do all those things, you're going to die of cancer. And if you don't, you're going to die of heart disease or stroke. And I've made my choice, <laughs> implying that he just lived his lifestyle and that's sure. when he decided he's going to die. And at he, what he, point did you whisper into his ears, you're my hero, doctor? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, he was obviously being facetious, but you're probably going to die of one of those things, heart disease or cancer, just like looking at statistics. So what can you do to prevent those? I think, you know, again, you can be like this guy, this marathon runner. And I'm not saying he did this. He probably did that because he enjoyed it, and which is totally fine, obviously. But, you know, if he was doing that to kind of avoid dying and avoid that, that maybe isn't the best motivation. So I think when it comes to our health, you want to try and reduce your risk of disease as much as possible within a reasonable amount. You know what I mean? You don't want to go super extreme because again, we've talked about it on the podcast, extremes of anything, restricting your eating can lead to eating disorders. Taking too many vitamins can lead to vitamin toxicity. There are any, anything in excess is bad. So I think the things that, and these are things obviously that I strive to do. I don't always do them as you implied, Ali, uh, but things I, these are things I think I would like to do that I think are reasonable for people. So, and they're not magic. They're not rocket science. They're not some sort of secret that I'm telling you that I'm going to get rich, you know, by writing a book about these secrets. These are obvious things that everybody knows. And the first one is to exercise and at least three times a week. And for me, it's exercising above and beyond what you do. Because some people are like, well, you know, I walk at work, so, you know, that kind of... Yeah, but that's your baseline. You need to go above that. Mm. You need to be like the people I see in my neighborhood who you see them doing loops, like, you know, like five kilometers, 10 kilometer walk. These people who are just like these amazing walkers that I see all the time. And at any age, right? I'm sure some of these people are in their 70s who are walking in my neighborhood and just, you know, that type of thing, going above and beyond your regular day-to-day routine. I think at least three times a week, moderate to vigorous activity, that's what's recommended for kids. And I think that makes sense for adults. Listen, I understand if you have severe arthritis in both your legs, it might be difficult. So it's whatever you can do. But let's just say the typical person who maybe doesn't have a lot of medical issues. 
And the hardest part, I think, is to make it part of your routine and make it consistent. And consistency is probably the key to anything in life. And it's tough, right? And what happens, I think, to a lot of us psychologically is like, you get into this groove, right? Yeah, I'm exercising every day. It's going really good. And then something throws you off. You know, it's, uh, you know, you've been busy. You go work. to the cottage with Asif Doja. <laughs> yeah. Or you go to a party or you're go away for work and then you don't get to do it. It's great if you can continue it when you're away at a cottage or away for work. Or, but life happens, right? But the key is to pick it back up. Because what a lot of us do psychologically, and us, I'm including myself, obviously, is I think, oh, well, you know, that's, <laughs> I fell off that wagon. Oh, well and then you just kind of like i'll just die now yeah you know you kind of give up you gotta get back on it so that that's one thing so again nothing really unusual in terms of exercise and you should do something that you like i honestly don't like exercising i never have but i do i just try to do things i like so i, I like doing weights a bit more so i do weights and i on Where a treadmill you i'll What's you that? don't call ex weights exercise? You don't like no, exercise? No, I do. I'm just saying I had to pick something I liked. So right. uh, that's why. And then running, I don't love running. But when I do it on our treadmill at home, I make sure I have a podcast I want to listen to. So I like distract, my reward is, distract, doing that, is doing that. And then, of course, as we all know, the time flies. There's a show you want to watch or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I just, again, I just try and trick myself into wanting to do these yeah. things because I don't love doing it. And the second big thing about health, I think, for me is eating and eating habits. And again, everything is doable in moderation. One of my friends says, you know, again, we live in the developed world. We live in the first world as we've talked about. We don't usually use that terminology anymore. There's always going to be more food unless a listener has had food insecurity where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You will always have more food. That food will be there tomorrow. Oh, you know, your kids ate the last, uh, <laughs> Oh, Henry bar that was in the, uh, what, what, just go buy another one. You'll be fine. So there's always going to be more food. So telling that you would use Oh Henry bar as an example versus like a sandwich or like an omelet or just anything that is actual food. You went with O. Henry Bar. That is, again, an example of something that's clearly happened to you where one of your kids has stolen <laughs> exactly. well, treats from you. It's appropriate to ground them, right, for doing that? I mean, everything's appropriate. It's all, um, all just punishment joking. is good. Um, yeah. And I think all you have to do is just eat, you know, quote unquote, a normal diet, you know, 2,000 calories a day for women, tw about 2,500 to 3,000 for men. You may need more if you're exercising a lot. That's fine. Just that's all you need to do. Just maintain that. <laughs> if it makes you feel better that you're counting calories or you're using Weight Watchers or whatever, do those things. But I think don't deprive yourself because that's when you get into these yo-yo things sure. and going up and down. And I think anything to excess is bad. Alcohol to excess is bad. Sugary foods to excess is bad. Anything to any excess is mm -hmm. bad. So I think... You, I'm going to just tape that and play it back to you at certain times in your life when I see you having your third Diet Coke. But anyway, I do find it very interesting, The, uh, you know, as, as somebody who's lost weight a number of times and then put it back on, because I can't be consistent, that's my struggle, I find it one of the greatest things is watching people go, how did you lose the weight? How did you lose the weight? And they come mm -hmm. up so interested so interested. Tell me anything. I'm desperate. That kind mm -hmm. of vibe. And you go, uh, started eating better and exercising. And then you see the interest just completely mm -hmm. go mm -hmm. away. People want the quick fix, right? People, re right now, this podcast, listeners have left because they're like, oh, he's going to talk about exercise and eating. I was hoping there was some kind of a pill or something. Yeah, yeah, listen, right? There's, you know, <laughs> probably this will turn even more people away. There's podcasts on the chart that all they talk about is how to do this, how to do this, this magic stuff. We talked about Dr. Oz. You know, if that stuff worked, everybody would be doing it and everybody would be all happy with, with their health. And it's not the way you look, right? The way you look physically is not the same as what you look insides look like and your organs look like and your health of, of how you're doing inside. But this is a good transition to my, a much bigger topic because your physical health is one thing. It doesn't compare to how important emotional health is. And this is stuff that, you know, it takes time to understand for me, again, I'm just talking about myself personally, how important that is. The whole idea of sound mind, sound body, I really do believe it. Again, 
Am I always the best example? I mean, definitely not. You know, if someone cuts me off in traffic, I was you just know, about I to say, I if get... only you all could be there. <laughs> I, 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 I get buses. stressed about it, but yeah. I think, and this is the key with that consistency as well. The worst thing to do is be like, oh, I can't believe I got so annoyed at a person cutting me off in traffic. Oh, well, and then just throw out, you know, the whole point is getting back to being like, yeah, but I, you know, this is what I'm trying to achieve is because you want this whole idea of stress, I think, is a huge issue. As I've said before, everybody is stressed right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Everybody in the world is stressed. You know, that's why we have these anti-vax protests and, and everything, you know, the eating disorders and kids, anxiety and kids. It's this overall level of stress, burnout in medicine. But the idea that you can eliminate stress, it's just like the other things we've talked about on the podcast. We've talked about the hidden curriculum in medicine. We've talked about bias. We've talked about racism. Those things will never be eliminated and stress will never be eliminated as well. There's tomorrow, who knows what could happen to us or mm. to our family members that will cause stress. But what you can do is you can minimize the impact it has on you and your mental state. That's what you have to do is I think try and minimize it. And for me, that means do more of what you like in life and less of what you don't like. And I'm very lucky. I really love my job. I think I've said that many times. Mm. I love seeing patients. I love seeing families and kids. I take a lot of pleasure from my job. And the only and, thing I uh, want... listeners, if you work with us at Doja, feel free to write in and tell us how little pleasure you get from working with us at Doja. Huh? Right. That'll be That's a nice right. wake up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the only thing I really hope for my kids is they have a job that they enjoy. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me what they do as long as they're enjoying it. And so... I think that's what you want to do in your job is do something that you like and then your spare time do things that, that you like. It doesn't mean you do this YOLO type behavior like, oh, YOLO, you only live once. And I'm like, see ya. And you leave your family and you walk out the door. I mean, you can do that, but you know, it's it's not that type of thing. What if it balances good, good sound body, sound mind by leaving your family? I mean, maybe, maybe your family would be less, less stressed and be happy ah. if you got the heck out. Not you. I meant, I meant a person. <laughs> Boy, wow. Wow, you were quite defensive about some, that. Some weekends I leave on a trip and I come back and I'm like, wow, uh, these, these people look like they've grown emotionally <laughs> in a, without in me. A better, better <laughs> mood. With They're you. in a better place, yeah. And I'll give you an example that I think, you know, it's all balancing these things out. So people are like, yeah, I like running. We talked about the marathon runners. I don't know. Some people, I think, genuinely want to try doing marathons. They're interested in their next thing. I do find some people, I'm like, yeah, they're like, I'm going to go on my long run. I'm like, oh, okay, the long run. And they spend the Sunday afternoon, they're gone for hours and hours from their family. I'm like, you know, you don't really see your family that much. You have a busy job and they're at school during the week. And, you know, and I asked another friend of mine who I know is, is quite a family man. And he's like, who is training for ultra long distance uh, training. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I get up at five and mm. I go for the run. And that's how I'm back in time to hang out with my wife and kids afterwards. So, sure. you know, I mean, there is there is a bit of, you know, balance that has to be struck with that. I'm not saying just do whatever you want and ignore it, but sometimes you do that. I, I feel like, you know, my wife and I have an understanding that when I go away, when it's you know typically for comedy or whatever work, when I come back, I'm often refocused and recharged and ready to be a better, you know, husband and caretaker and father, right. you know, it, it, you have to sort of look at what your relationships and whatever, you know, house dynamics allow for. And uh, of course, I mean, obviously yeah. there's other people, like if you live by yourself and you have no dependents, then obviously you should just be doing whatever you enjoy, whatever brings you pleasure in the world. But sometimes you have to make these big changes. I don't necessarily mean in your personal life, but in jobs and careers. So I know a good friend of mine was working, didn't really like what he was doing, and decided to go to journalism school after several years of working and became a journalist. One of my colleagues right now at work is a doctor, and she's getting into medical journalism as well, you know, just trying something different. And I have a friend who tried a bunch of other things. He tried doing computer stuff, did an MBA, was a chef for a little bit, and then became a successful stand-up comedian. You tell that loser to back off. We don't need him in our business. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Like, Hold on. I don't, I don't, you don't need two friends like that. What? Oh. 
<laughs> anyway, so so and I do have and we have another friend, Ali and I have another friend who is an IT guy and became a basically a South Asian pop star and and he just worked hard and and made music and is extremely successful. So people do that and sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes again, I'm not saying you don't consult your spouse and just do things like and just do these huge career changes, but sometimes you have to do that. You have to say what do you, I really love what I'm doing? You want to also maximize stuff that you like doing, whether it's playing sports, gardening. I do make fun of all my friends who are gardeners, mm. but Man, you know, listen, they love people it. find that relaxing. They get a lot out of it. You know, why not? Even us doing this podcast is a fun is a fun yeah. thing for us to do. I mean, for some people, then maybe you, you're doing a podcast that's as obscure and strange as bird watching might be mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. you or I, right? Yeah, but yeah, then yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, if you're getting some value out of it and why it's good not? for your yeah. Yeah. Of course you should do it. So a couple more things. I think however you can look into minimizing the stress, you should look into it. And some things aren't for me, but they are for other people. So mindfulness, and it's funny, I'm talking about mindfulness, but that's one of the things that we're talking about. Mindfulness is basically being in the moment. And that's what a stand-up comedian is when they're on stage. Mm -hmm. They cannot, a good comedian, I would say, from what you were saying, cannot be doing anything else but being in the moment. They have to be in the moment. They're probably also thinking, subconsciously even how I connect these jokes and do a callback and things like that. But that's just probably happening on an automatic level. But you can't be worried about your taxes or your mortgage or whatever when you're up there, I'm assuming. No, you can't be. And if you are, it does affect your comedy typically. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of mindfulness and meditating, it's not really for me, but I certainly see the advantages of it. You, you know, uh, you talk about Seinfeld, I, I believe he's into transcendental meditation and TM uh, as they call it in the biz. They do. They do. Oh, okay. Now yeah. you mean, wow, like you're really out of it. All right. Biz people, you know, he's such a cynical kind of person, right? You yeah. think this would be the type of thing he'd make fun of? He's like, no, that's what you need to do to reset yourself. So again, it's, I think whatever works for you. Another thing to minimize stress, I can't mention this enough. Listen, you can't choose your family. Your family is kind of chosen for you, but you certainly can choose your friends. And there are friends, and this is the advice I give everybody. There are people you know who are energy sappers, right? They, you see them, and then you afterwards when you leave, you're like, you feel more depressed. You feel more down. They're taking your energy from you. You're, they're trying to get you to solve their problems. They're trying to get you to commiserate with how much they hate life. Like that is that You have to minimize those people in your life as much as possible. That gets easier as you get older. Were you worried that I was going to tell you? I thought you were going to be like, and this is the end yeah. of the podcast. And on that note, Asif, if I have something relevant to speak to you about, uh, no. But I have been a, you know, I always say this, you know, like there's the saying life is short. That's just a fact. That's mm -hmm. just, you know, but it, how you approach life is short can be different. So some people go, life is short. Why have these petty squabbles and grievances with friends? Let me make up with them. Life is short. Mm -hmm. Why mm -hmm. hold a mm -hmm. grudge? So on. Mm -hmm. But also there's life is short. So why even hang out with that guy? I'm going to keep my grievance because I never liked that person. And they were energy sapper and they were terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And life is exactly. short. Why put a negativity of any kind in my life? So, you know, I, I hop on and off. I hop on both sides of the fence of that argument. But definitely I've been able to be honest with people who are like just not yeah. doing it for me anymore. I don't, I don't think you have to be – I don't think those have to be mutually exclusive. I think you can avoid energy sappers. But holding grudges, it depends. Like if it doesn't bother you and you don't like that person, that's fine. Those things often eat away at people so much. And why? Like, why? It's just energy being spent unnecessarily, you know, in those situations. But the last thing I want to talk about is basically don't ignore signals. So in terms of this whole idea of health, emotional health, mental health, you can't ignore signals. There's a reason, you know, when I talk to my friends who are family doctors, I say, what do you see the most? I guess it must be high blood pressure. It must be high cholesterol, maybe diabetes. They're like, no, it's depression and anxiety. And it is easily what we see the most in terms of, uh, and, the, and studies have, have borne that out in terms of what people see their family doctors for and are followed along over time. And 
you have to be attuned to this again listen everybody's stressed right now there's a lot of people who are depressed a lot of people are anxious and it may not be right now you are but we certainly go through times where we're all more anxious for various reasons and when we're feeling down and depressed it happens to everybody and if it doesn't happen to you that's great but i think if it doesn't happen to you you're probably causing it for other people <laughs> That's right. No, You're that Debbie not. Downer energy sapper. <laughs> no. So, you know, I, I think if you just accept that it happens to everybody, uh, again, it's like the other things we talked about. It's like unconscious bias. If you just accept I have unconscious bias, period. If you just accept I have periods in my time where I have depression or anxiety, it may not be clinical depression or anxiety, but I feel a bit depressed. I feel a bit anxious. That You just have to be attuned to what's going on. And we talked about before how things can come out in other ways. So when you're stressed or anxious, that's people who get these chronic headaches or the conversion disorder or these functional disorders, which is kind of an extreme example. People who have you know, abdominal pain, they can't figure out what's going on, you know, it, it will come out in other areas. And the worst part is, well, people will self-medicate or they'll look for other things. They're depressed and they think that, um, you know, if I just change my life, if I divorce my partner, if I do this, if I do that, I'll be happy. That's very different. What I was talking about, the first thing is minimizing things that are stress that you don't like. But if you have a deep down depression or deep down anxiety, those things are just going to be uh, superficial changes and they're not going to really get down to what's going on. And I think what you see often is people self-medicating, right? And self-medicating usually with, you know, these are the people who smoke pot like seven times a day. These are the people who drink all the time or because they're looking for something else, something external that can help them internally. And I think you can't ignore these signals. There's nothing wrong with that. And the stigma of mental illness in our society is still there, unfortunately. And I think you can't ignore these signals and, and what they're telling you. And if you're feeling like that, again, there's stages, right? Maybe it's just acknowledging that, oh, I'm feeling a bit down. I'm feeling a bit anxious. And then there's steps. Talking to therapists. Sometimes people need medication. Sometimes they don't. But there's steps. I think the key thing is don't ignore these signals in your body and in your mind about what's going on and trying to find these solutions that probably aren't going to lead you down the right path. All right. In summary, health is? Well. Expensive. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, that's it for the show today. Hope you guys found the show. Like I said, it was a bit different. It's kind of more looking at these kind of philosophical underpinnings. Ali's part was a bit meta, right? It's a meta analysis of humor and what makes somebody funny. So hopefully you like that. Let us know. DrVComedian at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're everywhere. Remember, just tell one friend about the podcast if you're enjoying it. And let us know if you have any other ideas for suggestions. Right. Yeah. And in fact, as Asif mentioned off the top, today's episode was a listener suggestion as was one of my favorite episodes of recent ones, which was the body odor and the Seinfeld episode. I really, really enjoyed that. Obviously, you go down the Seinfeld rabbit hole, you're going to have a good time. The body odor rabbit hole was not as a fun a trip for me to go down to, but I enjoyed talking about that. And these are suggestions from listeners. And yeah, if you have suggestions, stuff you'd like to hear us talk about, we are happy to do it. You have many ways to reach out to us. Please do. And Asif, are you, uh, are you everyone's doctor? No. So please remember that, although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.